This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane and today we've got a guest and his name is Brian Abraham. Brian is the Director of Minor League Operations for the Boston Red Sox. Brian runs all things minor league baseball, players and coaches and staff and the whole thing. He's going to tell you what he does every day. He's going to tell you about the challenges that he faces. Uh, He's going to tell you, he's going to answer the question... How do people get a job in baseball operations? He's going to answer the question and give you the answers to the test. He's also going to tell an amazing story about how he was the BP pitcher for Jose Bautista when he was in the 2012 Home Run Derby at the All-Star Game in Kansas City. Bautista came in second, and how nervous does Brian have to be throwing BP in front of, you know, 40,000 people or however many uh, Coffin Stadium holds, plus the millions and millions and millions of people that are watching on television? Uh, it was a uh, great story. Brian was wonderful, and uh, I hope that you enjoy this podcast. Before we get to today's podcast, I just want to say we have great listeners and want more people to be able to get the content that you love. To help spread the front office features word, we need you to do a few things. First, follow us on social media. Search front office features on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn for tons of content to help your growing sports business career. We also need you to rate and review on our Apple and Spotify podcast pages. The more you do that, the easier it is for others to find front office features. If you have already done that, thank you. Now, go share this episode on your Instagram story. Hello, and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane, and today our guest is Brian Abraham. Brian is the Director of Minor League Operations for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Brian, how are you, man? I'm great, Rob. Uh, thanks, Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure to have you, and uh, I'm always interested in talking to the guys from the player op side because it is, you know, as the guy who sells the tickets and sells the sponsorships, it's always good to talk to the folks on the other side. So um, I appreciate it. So one of the things that I found interesting as we were researching you and kind of doing your background is your Holy Cross guy, your Worcester guy, as we head yeah. to, uh, as we move the franchise to Worcester uh, next season. Can you talk a little bit about your college career? You're a baseball player there. Uh, but I also saw you were like a what a minor in like African studies or something. That was a concentration, I think. Concentration, we were, sorry. <laughs> I think when we're in college, we always try to you know broaden our horizons. And <laughs> so, 
English major and uh, Africana studies concentration. I think it just so happened when the classes I took made it so it was just easy to kind of check the box there. But <laughs> I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, from Worcester, uh, grew up, born and raised in Worcester, still have a lot of family there, went to St. John Shrewsbury and was lucky enough to get an opportunity to play baseball uh, locally at Holy Cross. And, you know, granted, it was only 15 minutes away from where I grew up. It seemed like a really good fit at the time to be able to get a really good education and, and still get an opportunity to play uh, baseball in Division One, for that matter. So it was a really good opportunity to do that. And I jumped at that. I have some family that went there. My dad went there. My grandfather went there, some uncles. So it was, uh, made a lot of sense for me for me to to attend Holy Cross. Should, they should sound like uh, Abraham U or something like that. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, they uh so you were a, you were a catcher and when you were at college when you were at Holy Cross were you thinking from the get go I saw that you used to write for your uh student new your student newspaper you wanted to be a sports writer how did it kind of was that your kind of focus going in as an English major how did it tell tell us a little bit about what you thought you were going to do you know sports for me was always a really big part of my life growing up you know we my my parents put us in multiple sports you know I not that tall. I still played basketball, played soccer. Um, I was lucky enough to play baseball and football in high school. And and as I said, lucky enough to play baseball in college, but I think just wanting to be a part of sports and have that be involved in my life at some, some way, uh, as I grew up was something that I wanted and I didn't know exactly how that would be. Um, I enjoyed writing as, as a young person. I felt like that was somewhat, you know, of an easy way to, to get there, you know, write about sports, you'll be able to do that and watch sports and do something I love. Um, I think as I kind of progressed into college, the writing kind of took a backseat and law school was more of a thought. And I think kind of, I was thinking player agent at the time. Um, Interesting. That was my initial thought, but you know, obviously things change, but I I think just kind of any way to stay involved with sports was really what I wanted because it, you know, I think what we try to do is, you know, stick with our passion. And if you're able to do that for a job, I mean, that's ideal. So talk a little bit about the family connection that you've got with the Rashardi family, who was the former general manager of the uh, Toronto Toronto Blue Jays, uh, also a Worcester native. Yeah, so uh, I've, I've known JP for a long time. He grew up with my, uh, my dad and my uncle. So kind of a, our families have known each other for a long time. I think a lot of people will tell you who are in professional sports, the right place, right time type of opportunities. And I think just knowing JP um, was, was great. He actually had hired my uncle to work for the Blue Jays as an assistant trainer a few years before I actually started working for them before I left school. So there was already some family connection there. Um, and again, after school, you know, there was an opportunity to, to get in with the Blue Jays, catch in the bullpen, do a couple side side odds and ends to just help out the organization end up being uh, more of a longer term opportunity. But um, I think just the, you know, my, my opportunity was based on relationships that I had built. And I think that's something that a lot of young people, you know, will learn and understand that's a huge piece of, uh, of your career, the relationships and um, the, the friendships you make along the way. So talk a little bit about that. How did you approach JP the first time and saying like, this is something I'm interested in and then you started bullpen catching and, you know, just getting your foot in the door with the Blue Jays organization. How did you leverage, how did you like approach him about what opportunities could be available? How did that all play out? I actually specifically remember reading Moneyball and telling him I wanted to get into baseball in some way. And I was like, oh, maybe I want to be a sports agent. And, you know, I was trying to bounce a bunch of different ideas off him. And I was still young at the time. I, But, you know, 
he just for me the biggest thing for for him was to tell me to just maintain your interest and work hard in school and see what happens and um you know when i went to um with the blue jays the, the opportunity i had in spring training was basically just to help out they needed an extra body i was um unable to play my my senior year at holy cross so i was able to go down to dunedin catch bullpens do like i said do some odd jobs i ended up learning how to do some video work and some basic statistical analysis and um you know, just really worked hard, tried to try to build relationships with some of the players, the staff members, and kind of kept my head down thinking it was going to be a two-month thing, and I'd go back and come back to Worcester and, um, you know, graduate and, you know, go from there. Uh, but what ended up happening is at the end of spring training, JP asked me if I wanted to join the club for their first road trip, and, um, you know, that was a no-brainer for me at the time. Yeah, of course. I, I, you know, the one, the conversation I remember him asking me, you know, is this something that would interest you? And I, I remember saying yes. And he said, well, what was I, this? Was it a bullpen I, catching? It was, uh, you know, he asked me to do video at the time, I guess at the time being kind of a, um, video coordinator was relatively new. It was, uh, handling the program that the major league teams use to, to watch a video within games as, as well as some basic stats, um, fairly new role at the time. And it would still be catching bullpens, throwing bag practice. So kind of a, multifaceted role that I was just able to do because I was fresh off the field as a player. Um, but just something that I was able to jump into and I said, I wanted to do. And I remember him telling me, if, he said, you know, if you had to think about it, this job wasn't for you. And I think looking back on it, just the amount of hours and the time from that first year, um, and the learning experience I had, uh, certainly that, that was the truth. It was, uh, it was a lot, but something I, I jumped right into, I was really scared. I was, I think, 23 years old, all of a sudden in a major league clubhouse, but uh, it was something that, you know, started the foundation for my, for my career in baseball. So how did you handle that? You're 23 years old, you're in a clubhouse and, you know, it's, you know, it feels like your dreams have come true at 23 years old. Uh, how did you like say, you know, this is a job and I just need to go about my, uh, go about my business and do it to, to the best of my ability and not like, you know, proverbially geek out and be like, Oh my God, I'm in the yeah, Blue Jays yeah. clubhouse. Yeah. I think there were some times that happened, but it was kind of, I tried to keep that, uh, to myself, <laughs> obviously, um, you know, I was very lucky. I had a really good support system, whether that be my, you know, my family, my family back home, my parents, um, like I said, my uncle was the assistant trainer, so he was someone I really relied on heavily, um, the ins and outs of just um, being around major league players. Um, you know, we had a really good bullpen catcher who's actually still there at the time, Alex Andropoulos, who was very helpful. And, um, you know, I was I was very lucky. I was around a lot of, uh, you know, older veteran major, major league players that um, probably a group of guys that aren't really around anymore. You know, uh, Roy Halladay, A.J. Burnett, Troy Gloss, Frank Thomas. Um, BJ, wow. I mean, some pretty big Greg Zahn, some pretty big names. And I think, um, once I kind of earned their trust and, uh, and their, you know, understanding of that, I was there to help them and help the organization. I think that really set the table to, to really make my mark. And, um, they let me into that, uh, that fraternity of professional baseball. Cause it's certainly one that is intimidating. Uh, and you have to earn your way in. And I know there were definitely, I will say there were definitely some bumps in the road along the way, but I think, <laughs> like I said, you know, my values and my, my support system at home and, and the, the support system I had within the organization was, was a huge piece to allow me to, to kind of grow in that role. I talk, we talk a lot about this, uh, on the, on this podcast is providing value. So what kind of value did you provide guys like Troy Gloss and Frank Thomas that, allowed them to you so you have your opportunity that allowed them to trust you to take it to the next level mm -hmm. 
I think a big thing for me that really was beneficial as, as a young person in my career was the on-field aspect. I know not everyone is able to do that, but at the time I was, I was able to catch bullpen so guys knew I could catch, throw baseball. I was able to throw batting practice. So whenever I was off the field at the computer, whether helping them with video or some providing them some, some scouting reports, I think there was a natural trust factor. Like, okay, this guy's not just some guy who's coming in here telling me what to do. He knows how to play baseball. He understands the game a little bit. He's, you know, whether or not I was wearing a uniform or not, he's wearing baseball pants and felt like um, they could trust me. So I think that was very helpful for me at the time, just with the older guys. But I yeah. think just the, the work ethic and um, the ability to kind of be seen, not heard, but still work hard, be able to answer the bell when someone asked you for something. Um, that was the, I think that was the key because, you know, all these guys want is to improve and, and do well for themselves and, you know, be better baseball players and help the organization win a championship. That's the ultimate goal. And if you can show that you're able to help them, I think that that's, that's the key. And you've had a talk about your, there's two things I want to talk about here. One is talk you talk about bullpen catching. You were a bullpen catcher for a, a long while. Talk about some of the teams that you were a bullpen catcher for. Yeah, so with the Blue Jays, my role kind of fluctuated. I, I obviously caught in the bullpen for most of the time. We had a main bullpen catcher, but I you know, did the video work. I did some advanced scouting, so I was inside a lot, but it was just kind of another um, another something I was able to do on the side. Again, throw batting practice on a daily basis. Uh, after 2012 with the Blue Jays, I was able to come back to the Red Sox, join my uh, hometown team with uh, John Farrell, and I was in the bullpen on a on – a, day-to-day basis. So I was lucky enough to be in the bullpen during the 2013 World Series Championship run, which was, you know, an amazing opportunity. And then 2014 was my final season in the bullpen before um, transitioning to the front office. And you said, uh, that's all, just awesome. And uh, you said in, uh, you would throw batting practice daily. There's also a great story. You were Jose Bautista's uh, BP pitcher when he was in the home run derby for the All-Star game. I was 2012. He asked me if I would be interested. I was uh, extremely, extremely terrified. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask you, how nervous yeah, were you going out very, there? I was very nervous. My my wife, fiance at the time, I remember asking her if I should do it. And she said, if you don't, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. So I said yes. It was in Kansas City. We were uh, we they, they flew my myself and my fiance down there during All Star break and. Uh, I was able to throw to Jose Batista home run derby. We, we we finished second. It was an amazing experience, something I'll never forget. I still, looking back on, I'm still not exactly sure how I how I did. I think I might have blacked out the entire time. <laughs> uh, one of those experiences I'll, I'll never forget. I'm so you know thankful um, to Jose. And, you know there are certainly many players throughout the years that I've, I'm very grateful to. But I think Jose giving me that opportunity, the trust he had in me to be able to do it, um, meant a lot. Were you just like, don't punk? Were you? Is there any like time where you in there where you're like, man, I should have. I wish I w- I wish I had that pitch back to groove it a little bit better so that he maybe could have won the whole thing. Do you feel any responsibility, or is it like, now nah, we did good. It was just kind of fun. I'd be lying if I said I didn't go back and watch it. And I feel like I threw <laughs> a lot of bad pitches, so probably there's more than just one I'd want to take back. But I mean, he's an unbelievable, unbelievable player, an unbelievable talent. I mean, I like to say I just tried to throw the ball near the plate, and he took care of the rest. So. Unbelievable! I remember. I remember that. I was. Uh, that was in 2012. So I was. 
uh, I was just starting in Scranton and I just came from working with the Kansas City uh, organization okay. uh, for six years. And uh, I remember that one vividly and, the, and all the guys and everything that were that were part of that. So uh, a very cool, very memorable one. And uh, uh, what a cool opportunity. I just can't imagine how loud was it every time you hit a home run? It was loud. It's one of those things you don't, you know, you don't really see it on TV, but they have music playing in the stadium. They have uh, Craig Amzinger, I believe, was the MC, and he's talking the entire time in the stadium. But obviously on TV, you hear, you know, John Cruck and Chris Berman doing, uh, you know, doing the calls. But in the stadium, I, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. I remember actually Sean Camp, one of the pitchers with the Blue Jays. I remember him telling me, you know, when you get in the middle of the stadium and you're on the mound, he said, "Don't look up," because when you don't, when you when you just look straight, it looks like there's only one uh, one row of stands. When you look up, you realize there's an upper deck. And Kansas City's a and Kansas City has that big, tall upper deck as well. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's got to be a pretty intimidating uh, in, intimidating thing. So yeah, like I said, uh, I think I blacked out. So it's, uh, we, we, I survived it. That's awesome. We'll have to find that one on uh, on YouTube. But uh, so, can you talk a little bit about? So you you made the transition with John Farrell when he came over. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you do each day? What does a director of minor league operations do? Sure. Uh, I mean, it is one of those things where it obviously varies off season, in season. There's a lot of different things that that can happen. Um, you know, I worked very closely, uh, you know, with Ben Crockett, our vice president of player development. And um, at this point now, in, in 2020, the department has grown so big that it's just the need for multiple people to help run different areas of it is just needed. You know, we have various uh, departments in our, you know, player development department, whether that be mental skills, you know, the pitching, hitting, um, nutrition, uh, medical, strength conditioning. And there's just so many aspects of it. Um, but on a day-to-day basis, a lot of it is managing our staff and helping our staff um, push our players into their developmental goals and to get to the places where we want them and where they need to be, whether that is a young player who's just drafted or that is a AAA player you know, trying to crack the big league roster. And a lot of it is uh, you know, managing people and relationships and communicating and making sure a lot of people are doing the right thing. Um, you know, obviously there's, there's some baseball, there's some baseball involved there and there's some evaluating and there's some scouting and, and valuing players. But I, I lo- always like to say a lot of it is, is relationships and, and teaching and making sure guys are doing what they're supposed to do and allowing our staff and the, and the people we've hired beneath us to do what they, uh, do best. And that's, you know, that's coaching players, that's, um, showing players the right way to behave on and off the field and, and progress as young men and as young baseball players to hopefully be Boston Red Sox for, for a long time. And when you're doing this, when you're evaluating and when you're communicating and where you, when you're continuously building trust with uh, the different players who are throughout the different levels, in all honesty, you're a young guy. And uh, how does being I would being closer in their age rather than being, you know, 65 years yeah. old, how does that relationship, how does that dynamic work? Um, and how do you feel it could be beneficial or detrimental? Yeah, I think the game has, you know, over the years has transitioned to a little bit more of a, a younger game and that's on the player side and that's on the office side. I, I like to think, as I said, the relationships are so important and to be able to relate to players, whether that be just understanding, you know, what they've gone through recently with, with families or as a young kid going through school or the hardships that they're having, I think being able to relate and talk to guys on a person to person level is so valuable. Um, and I think, 
building that trust no matter what your age is. If you can show the players that you're there to help them and that you care, I don't think they they care if you're you're 15 years old or if you're 50 years old. It's about right. helping them to achieve what they want to achieve, and that's to be major league baseball players. And I don't, I think at this point, you know, I think the beauty of it is age at this at the time in the game is really a non-factor. Um, you know, whether like I said, whether whether you're young or old, I think the the information you bring and the value you bring to the player and to the organization and the um, Everything you can you can provide the players is what they're looking at. They don't care when you were born or your experience. They want to know how you can help them, and and I think that's one of the best things about uh, about where baseball has gone. It's it's not necessarily a numbers game, or you know, as important as experience is, experience is, it's what can you do to help the player, and what can you do to help the organization. That's that's really the what what things are built on now and i think that's really valuable for a lot of people within the game of baseball and a lot of people that are trying to get in the game of baseball it's if you have information knowledge and you can ask questions and try to get better i think that's the important thing i agree and we talk like we said it's all about the value that you bring and changing from like i just want to be a part of that to like yeah okay fine what value are you bringing here how can you uh, help these people when your job is to make players better uh, and to make organizations better what value do you bring and it might be as you started out in your in the video room you know grinding out 18 hours a day catching a batting practice uh not a batting practice catching a bullpen here and there and that's the value that you bring and always kind of just being available, but, you know, seen and not heard as much, I think is, is wise advice. Do you agree? Definitely. And I think being able to admit either when you're wrong or you don't have the answer is really important as well. There's so many resources that, you know, we provide, you know, with our research and development group and our analytics group that, you know, that's not my specialty, but I do know we have certain people in our organization that that is their specialty. And if I don't have an answer for a player, I know who to go to and get that answer. I think being honest and telling the players the truth um, is really important. I I mean, players can see right through you a lot of times. And I think letting them know, Hey, I'm doing the best I can to help you. And if I don't have the answer immediately, I'll get it for you. So did you ever, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put them in the best, best position for themselves to succeed. I mean, that's our goal. Our goal is to put you know each player in the best position for for themselves to grow and develop into into what they what they could potentially be. You know, you uh, go on that same vein. You know, we talked about bumps in the road, and I feel like we've probably all done this in our career. And you're growing, you're trying to help, but you actually hurt by not not knowing the full answer. Have you ever made that mistake before? And how did you uh, combat that? I mean, I probably more uh. times than I wish to. You know, I I think that's something that just happens in our um, our jobs on a daily basis. Like I said, I think the key is trying to be honest. And if you don't have an answer, letting guys know, I think, um, you know, there are certain times, whether it be, you know, playing time for a player or things change or the organization changes or changes or a trade is made that sometimes you want to, you know, give your best answer to a player. But the reality is that sometimes there are bigger things that take precedent over things that you're thinking about the current time. So. I don't think anything is necessarily, uh, you know, uh, bad intentions, but I think the nature of minor league baseball and the nature of our jobs is whether it be releasing a player or a player getting less playing time. Sometimes you make a trade at the big league level and that affects playing time at the lower levels. And, you know, while you right. might have told the player, hey, you're going to play every day, all of a sudden we have a top prospect that we traded for and he's has that same position. Obviously, you're going to have to talk to the player who is going to have less playing time and say, hey, here's the situation. I know I said this. 
but unfortunately things have changed. And I think that's kind of, you know, one of the things we deal with a lot. It's not that, you know, you, know, you try never to make promises because like I said, the game is so fluid and things can happen um, so quickly. But you, you know, if you're honest, I think initially and try to tell guys you're putting them in the best situation, you will, you know, do that no matter what situation. I think that helps build for um, when there is a situation like that and you do have to make an adjustment because of uh, something outside of your control. And to build on that, you uh, came over with John Farrell, and obviously there's been a change in two, not to talk, go into those specific situations, but there's going to be change in people's lives, uh, no matter what industry or what job or what they have. And you've obviously have been through multiple iterations of change in your role. What suggestions do you have people uh, do you have for people? Uh, when going through change, when uh, kind of adjusting to uh, a, a new boss or, uh, or a different way of looking at the same thing, uh, what's your suggestion in those times of change? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think change is one of the things that's not easy within lives, within professions. I mean, change is hard no matter what it is, even if it's for the positive. Whether you, you know, I came to the Red Sox. I was so excited to come to the Red Sox, my hometown team, um, and work close to home and be near my family. But Changes, meeting new people, building new relationships, and gaining new trust, that's hard to do. So to me, the best thing is to be yourself and be who you are because as long as that stays consistent, you can handle things and take care of the things, you know, control what you control and, you know, let everything uh, kind of play out. Because if you're trying to be someone you're not, that's eventually um, going to come out at some point and, and it might not necessarily be for the positive. So if you can stay true to yourself, your beliefs, your um, your values to me, that's, that's so important. And I think, you know, the people I work for and the organizations you work for will notice that. And if you are, if it's, it's a, you know, and you believe in yourself and you're good at what you do, I think the truth will kind of come out and you'll be able to be successful no matter where you are, what that change, uh, what that change is. I think too, when you're at change and saying, uh, something similarly is, You've got to believe in yourself probably more so during the times of change because you're going to be evaluated and you've got to believe that what you are doing is the right thing. And I think communicating that belief in, you know, doing a good job and what you've, you know, worked your way up to, I think is, uh, uh, you know, believing in yourself and, uh, and double downing on yourself really is the way to go during those times of change. Definitely. I think, you know, I've been very lucky to have really good, uh, to work below some really, uh, really good people. I, you know, I was with John, Cito Gaston. Well, actually, John Gibbons was the first manager, then Cito Gaston, then John Farrell, then moving to the office, um, Ben Sherrington, you know, Mike Hazen, Dave Dombrowski, you know, Ben Crockett's been my, my direct boss for a number of years. And to have someone like, like Ben to be the guy who's providing feedback for myself, honest feedback constructive criticism on a, on a daily basis is so valuable. And I think that's even more valuable when you're young because, you know, trust me, there's still plenty of things I'm working on on a day, daily basis. And I think, you know, there are plenty of people that have high up roles that will say the same, but to have someone that can provide that feedback honestly and know that they have your best interest in mind is so important for, for people's careers. And I think that's really what helps people progress and become uh, better in the workplace and, and better people outside of the workplace. And we talk about that a lot is it's, it, it's nice to have, you know, Boston Red Sox on your resume, but 
without guys like Croc, uh, you know, it's not the same Boston Red Sox, if you will. So it's not only just cho- choosing the name on the front of the jersey, if you will. It's choosing your boss and how important those people that you work directly with, how important they are on your career. Definitely. I think, you know, the Red Sox itself has its own culture, but I think, you know, player development within the Red Sox has a has a long, uh, strong culture of of development and progression of young people within the organization, whether it be, you know, Theo, who where it started with those young teams, with those young homegrown players, and then Ben Sherrington, Mike Hayes, and Ben Crockett. I mean, those are some big names within the industry and people that, um, you know, really care about the game and care about the people below them. To have those people in your corner, um, I think is really valuable. And to know that they've been through ups and downs in their careers and their experiences and what the information and the thoughts and um, critiques they have for you or based on what they've gone through is so helpful and I think allows, you know, personally myself to to make those adjustments and know when, when Ben makes a comment or has something to say to me, I can take it and run with it because I know the experiences he had has, you know, allowed him to make those comments for the better. Right. And uh, it's and I obviously know Croc very well. He's a great he's a great guy and you you're in wonderful hands. Um, to switch in subjects a little bit. I've even put myself back in these shoes 15 years ago when I graduated college um, here all the time. I want to get into baseball operations. I want to be, uh, for me, it was, uh, I graduated in 2004 and Theo was just, you know, 27 years old running the Red Sox. And I was like, I want to be the next Theo, but very few of us end up doing it. Um, Including myself, I'm selling sponsorships and tickets, right? Um, What advice do you give to the up and coming person who has that pipe dream of like, I wanted to get in the baseball operations. I want to be the next Brian Abraham. I want to be able to, to do that. What kind of advice do you have for those folks to make those dreams actual become a reality? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously sports and baseball in general, I think, you know, Theo was one of the earlier younger executives for, you know, young people like yourself and even myself to say, Hey, like, this is something I could, I could maybe do. I didn't, you know, I'm not going to, or I didn't play professional baseball and I could maybe work in professional baseball and make an impact. Um, you know, I think that has grown exponentially over the years. Obviously, if you go to winter meetings, there's, there's hundreds and you know, thousands of younger, younger uh, people, you know, whether have graduated college or in college, they're looking for internships or opportunities within baseball. To me, the first thing I always say to people is watch baseball. I mean, to, huh. getting to know <laughs> the game and understanding the player, who the players are and what's going on in the game, whether that be, you know, uh, you know, on field discussion or, you know, off the field discussion, whether, you know, basic agreement or um, just transactions. I think that's so valuable. I think that's one of the things we forget at times is watching the game is really important to know the game of baseball and what you're seeing to me is just the first step. And I, I think that's one of the first things I say, people say, what can I do while, you know, I'm, and I know you're not hiring right now, but what can I do while I'm home? And I, you know, watch, watch baseball games. I mean, that's pretty fun. You know, write scout reports, um, based on what you're seeing. It doesn't necessarily have to be an exact science, but, you know, write what you're seeing and read the, you know, read the internet, read, go on fan graphs, go on different, uh, websites and, and scour through Ken Rosenthal or, you know, different people that, that write, uh, about baseball and just gather information for yourself. And I think that's a, just to have that as a, a basic foundation of, of knowledge is, is really valuable. I mean, obviously the resume, is really important. But to me, you know, know, knowing baseball and loving baseball are two things that are so valuable. I mean, if you don't love baseball or, you know, if you work in sports, love sports for that matter, it's not for you because it's just, it's too much. 
Um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, someone you know, you know, as someone with a family now, if 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 you don't love what you do, it's it's hard to do it. The, uh, so you're saying go watch old baseball right now. There's obviously nothing. You're saying go watch those Korean games and like start doing scouting reports on some of those guys. Yeah, I mean watch watch those baseball games. I know Nesson is playing old Red Sox games and uh, watch you know watch the, pay attention to the small things. Pay attention to what pitches the pitchers throwing, the the pitch mix, the pitch selection. Um, you know different situations in the game. What guys do in in different situations. Playoff baseball. There's a lot of small details that come into play and help teams win or lose and you know while that's again not going to necessarily get you hired i think those are little things that your knowledge of baseball help help in the long run and that whether you're in an interview process with with a front office and you're talking to people that know baseball they might ask you about a situation in a game or they might ask you um about uh you know what do you think about the red sox this year what are their needs what are their strengths what are um you know they have a whole a certain position. What do you think they should do with that hole? What free agent should they sign? Should they sign a free agent? What are their prospects like? I think, you know, whether it be watching baseball, like I said, or, or reading baseball America um, and, and going on to the web and taking advantage of the resources you have for free um, can be really beneficial for, for young, young people that, especially now when you're at home and you have some time to be able to do that, I think that'd be really helpful or listen to podcasts. I mean, podcasts are great as well. Any uh, any suggestions besides front office features, which is your favorite yeah, podcast of all time? I understand that. Certainly is my. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there are a bunch of different podcasts. There's you know different podcasts about leadership that we talk to our, our staff about. Um, there's an interesting one, uh, Executive Access, that's about you know probably similar to this. It has some major league executives on there talking about their roles and their up, um, their ability to make it through whatever whatever they get did to get where they are, and it's different paths. It's you know, whether it be scouting director, whether it be um, general manager or um, amateur scouting director. I mean, there's just so many different uh, paths and, and roles that guys can be in. Um, I think you know, that's one of the best. While there are more people looking for jobs, I think the resources that a lot of the people have now are way different than they were, you know, 10 years ago or 14 years ago when I started. Again, I never even dreamt of going to a winter meeting. Like, I was very lucky, right place, right time. But um, I think a lot of the kids now, what they have and what they could prepare for before they even enter an interview process is, is really valuable. Yeah. And I think you make your own luck too. So, um, one of the things we talk a lot about this in the same kind of vein, you said, watch baseball, educate yourself, thoroughly agree. But then it's, how do you get yourself known? How do you get known? How do you network? How do you start those relationships to be able to even get the interview? Because the million people apply or a million people trying to get these jobs, but only even a handful even get the opportunity to interview. What kind of tips do you have for folks on how to even talk to somebody? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, as I said, we get a lot of resumes every year. I think experiences are great and the knowledge of baseball is great. But I know one of the things that we always look for are people that have different backgrounds, different skill sets, different experiences, whether that's a, maybe an internship in a different um, area of, um, you know, whether it be a business internship or whether that be, um, you know, you traveling abroad and, and working somewhere abroad, um, you know, being bilingual, understand knowing Spanish uh, fluently is, is extremely valuable. And I, I guarantee if you're bilingual, you'll get a second look, you know, we'll, we'll take a second look at that resume. Um, but I think, you know, while baseball is important to have that, you know, where you went to school is important and being a member of the baseball team is important. But I think, you know, just the different experiences, the willingness to kind of think outside the box on young people's end, you know, maybe I can't get a baseball internship, but maybe I can get an internship doing something that have similar skill sets. 
uh, whether it be a leadership type internship or just or a job, whether that be grinding out somewhere and working really hard to to make money to go to school, different things like that, I think are things that we look for. And it's not always just cookie cutter. It's not just go to a good school, work for a baseball team. I want to get a job in baseball. I mean, that's certainly great. I think there's certainly plenty of people that will say, hey, I worked my butt off, went to a really good school, played played baseball in college, and I got a really good internship because I'm smart. I mean, there are certainly plenty of people like that. But then there are also a lot of people that maybe have a background that um, maybe they had an internship at a law firm or maybe they had an internship on Wall Street. And all of a sudden you're saying, hey, this guy brings something a little bit different to the table here. Why don't we see um, what they bring in an interview and the different thoughts and ideas they have? Because I think for us, one of the important things is you don't want everyone to be the same in the office. You want different thoughts, right. different ideas, people that think differently than you do that can question you. Um, and I think that's what really sets an organization's, organizations apart from others, the ability to challenge each other and challenge um, yourself is, is really important to, to progress going forward. And there's a skill to challenge in the challenge somebody in, in a professional setting, right? So it's like if you disagree with, so I'm sure you've had disagreements with Ben Crockett over the uh, years on, you know, players or, on a, or approach or anything. How do you approach professional disagreement? I'll say he is usually right. I will say that. <laughs> I think depending on your role, it obviously varies. I mean, if you're an intern in the office, I know we talked about being seen, not heard. That probably makes a little bit more sense. But maybe talk to someone on the side like, hey, I know this person said this, but I was thinking this. Like, I think being respectful is very important. There are a lot of people in our office who spent a lot of years in this game, have seen a lot of baseball, know a lot of things to um, you know, have their opinion valued extremely high. Um, but I think being respectful and understanding who you're dealing with and who you're talking to is really important. Know the setting you're in, knowing where you are in the situation, whether that be maybe after a loss of a, a game, a big loss, you're not going to be laughing and playing in your you know cubicle because we just lost a really big game. It's just kind of understanding the situation and your surroundings and being cognizant. I think one of the things we talk about is, you know, feel like, how do you describe what feels? It's, you know, kind yeah. of understanding who you're around, where you are, when you should say something, when you should say something. It's certainly, it's not easy. It's really not. I mean, sometimes, you know, you're very lucky to just have it, but I think it can be, it can be taught and it can be learned by being around the right people and seeing how people um, in the office that have done, done well, how they, how they act. Um, there's different situations to, to bring up different things and just understanding kind of where those are through experiences is really, is the difficult thing, but to have like a, exact answer for a young player in the young person in the office i think the best thing is listen learn and spoke when you're spoken to just be ready um kind of at all times to 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 answer a question and have that information that you would need to answer those questions on hand if you need it well um this has been great i gotta ask you and that uh answer was was great i gotta ask you one thing last one as as we wrap it up as a worcester kid uh, and uh, Holy Cross and St. John's alum, how pumped are you that uh, we're going to be in Worcester uh, next year? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I know Pawtucket has uh, been such a huge piece of the Red Sox, and we value the relationship that we have with them and still excited for, you know, hopefully uh, a year of baseball or at least part of a year of baseball yeah. um, this year. But, you know, certainly I, I, I will say I'm somewhat biased having my family there, you know, like you said, going to school there and, you know, I drove by the area where they're building Polar Park. I mean, I can't even tell you the number of times. I had grandparents that lived um, in, Gra in Grafton Hill and Vernon Hill, which is right through that, right through Kelly Square. I'd, 
I learned how to drive right around Kelly Square. So um, I am extremely excited. I think it's great for the city of Worcester. It's a great baseball area. Um, a lot of really good people, and I think it's going to do uh, really well. The passion and the excitement, I think, is going uh, is going to be just outstanding there. And I think the fan base is going to be excited. And I think the product, you know, with the players we provide and the, the championship caliber organization that we have and the players that we develop is just going to add to that. You know, to be able to have the Red Sox there and a winning organization and players that are close to being Red Sox players as well as just players that are going to be young and exciting to watch, I mean, it's going to be tough to beat, and I'm, I'm really excited for it. Not to mention the park is going to be is going to be gorgeous, and the amenities are going to be beautiful. Um, and I think it's going to be a really, really big uh, piece of, of what Worcester's trying to trying to build. Yeah, I, uh, I, I can't wait. I'm, excuse me, I can't wait. I've uh, luckily been a part of uh, two other ballpark builds, and this being the third. Um, this one's got a lot of special to it, uh, especially being 45 minutes from Boston and the yeah. passion that Worcester has for the Red Sox and baseball in general is going gonna, is gonna to be great. And you mentioned Kelly Square, and for those not from uh, New England, Kelly Square has, I don't know, eight or nine different streets coming into one central thing. I don't even know how to describe it, like but there's no stop signs or lights. You just close your eyes and go and hope you don't kill someone. That's how I learned. My, I remember my dad would just say, just, you know, there's a stop sign. And once you go, he said, don't stop. Just keep your, oh. you know, keep your, head, keep your head on a swivel and just, uh, <laughs> and it worked. It, it worked. So, uh, I, I guess that was good advice, but yeah, like you said, they're kind of rein, reinventing that area. There's gonna be lo- lo- a few more uh, stop signs, I think a couple one-way streets to make it a little bit easier uh, for people coming in and out of the ballpark. There's not a worse intersection in America than uh, than that one. Close your eyes and go. Exactly. Um, Brian, I can't thank you enough for joining us uh, today, and uh, I thought our conversation was fantastic. So I really appreciate it, and uh, you know, fingers crossed we can get playing here soon. And uh, again, a million thank yous. Course. Thanks for having me, Rob, and uh, you know, hopefully looking forward to, to watching baseball sometime soon. Amen, buddy. Amen. Talk to you soon. Okay. Take care.